A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 198 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can be found on iTunes and Twitter and on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Erleman. And with me, like Leia's burning desire to kill her father, the EU guru himself, the count of these two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. I guess by the time this episode gets released, given you know how crazy our schedules have been, everyone will have read Bloodline, and that'll be nice in context. I'm not sure kill's the right word, but there's certainly some daddy issues that Leia's going to have to deal with again. Again, being a different continuity and all, but uh, I'm glad we're back. It seems like it's been forever. I've been recording with Michael over and over again for Cloud City Casino Weekly, and it seems like it's been forever since we've had a chance to uh, to sit down here. I almost hear the, from, was it Ghostbusters 2, the We're Back song by, I think it was Bobby Brown playing in the back of my head or something. <laughs> nice. Well, it's funny because I was thinking, you know, all the Leia in the comics that we've gotten from Marvel, she's just got this hate on for Vader. Like, what a great opportunity for Claudia Gray with Bloodline, man. But, hey, look, look, but Bail Organa, who she considers her father, needs a statue every time we get a new Leia story. Mm, that's true. That's true. She does have a real hang-up on Bail. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have plexed you off and on. Like, why does Leia have a thing for Bale? You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we address your Force Awakens questions and ponders. Once more, you are the star. But we also have a Sith ton of email. So much so, it may turn into two whole episodes, or even three. So before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we're going to not talk about that. So consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. That's right, folks. Our last feedback episode was around like November or December of last year, and it was recorded at the end of October. So technically, we have feedback going back to, you know, October at this point. We're going to hit them as much as possible, as many as possible. Some are audio, some are text. The text ones vary in length, of course, and we're to try to give you our thoughts on them in a more concise way than usual. Yeah, we'll see if that works, uh, so that we can get through as many as possible. So we start with an email from Wampa Fan, as in Wampa's Lair Podcast Fan, uh, who says, Hi, guys. Love the show. Questions. Number one, what's your favorite viewing order? Have you guys heard of this viewing order, which sounds cool to me? Four, one, two, five, three, six. 
Alternately, I wonder how the original trilogy would be for someone who only saw the Clone Wars, seeing that version of Anakin and then the big reveal in The Empire Strikes Back. Two, a thought question. I think the prequel novelizations add so much to the movies, while the original trilogy ones really don't. I think part of that has to do with the amount of complex backstory of the downfall of the Jedi and their flaws, and the rise of Palpatine with his awesome scheming, whereas the original trilogy is a much tighter story. Here are my thoughts on each. The Phantom Menace novelization doesn't add too much, but it is cool. The Attack of the Clones novelization, I think, adds the most development in terms of what could have helped the movie the most. A, especially in the Anakin-Padme relationship, not only because of the deleted content, but also in Padme's head, she's thinking about a lot of her family life and life beyond politics. B, it shows how much Owen and Shmi get along and makes more sense why the Lars would take in Luke. C, it also has Jango and Boba scenes where the reason Jango wanted a clone was to train him to be a near-perfect bounty hunter better than himself. And D, Obi-Wan's worry of Anakin being alone with Padme and Mace, the worst character in Star Wars, being dumb. Revenge of the Sith, I think, also adds a lot too, but Attack of the Clones needed it more. Stover effect. I know you guys can list them. I mainly wanted to highlight Attack of the Clones since it frequently gets pinned as the worst movie, which I agree to. Although I'm a big fan of The Phantom Menace, it was the first Star Wars film I saw. The novelization is awesome. Do you guys feel the same way about the novelizations? By the way, I just started reading Star Wars books, granted this was back in October, and started with the novelizations, hence the above questions. Any other recommendations for canon or legends? I've been reading Kenobi, which is really good after starting slow. I like stories about Jedi and not too sci-fi, but more fantasy. Number three. I'm not a comic guy, but the new ones sound really cool. I don't seem to find them in the library, though, which is how I get most of my books. I don't want to have to buy the comics for the stories. Will those stories be retold in book form, or is there some sort of library system for comics? I hope to hear back. Thanks, guys. Well, the library comment one, I'll leave that one for Nathan. He may have a better answer. Uh, now, as far as favorite viewing order uh you know you were talking about four one two five three six and then i'm assuming now seven i have heard of that one i haven't i mean i don't know if i've ever sat down and done it um and i guess that's that's really where i come from anymore like i don't really do many star wars marathons and when i do i'm not really like sitting down and watching like i've watched the films so many times now that they're kind of like my background uh white noise uh, to a degree, like, I, I don't know, like, I, I like to put them on and then do things, and then I, I end up not paying attention to the movie as often as I should, or <laughs> vice versa, I should be doing something, and I'll put it on, and I get drawn into the movie again, uh, but for my viewing order right now, I would probably go with a, uh, oh, that's a rough one, because, you know, it's like, it's like you want to introduce somebody to it, you do kind of want to go four, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I can't. I think I'm I'm a watch four twice kind of guy right now. Uh, but even then, that's hard because I like me and my son. We were watching the Force Awakens, and you know, even now we're starting to skip to our favorite scenes and stuff. And that's really what I do when I put on a DVD or Blu-ray. It's like I just jump to my favorite scenes in each movie and just kind of do a quick, uh, you know, micro mark uh, saga. Let's see. Uh, for number one, favorite viewing order. Uh, I'm kind of like Mark. I tend to just put on one just kind of randomly, and it's usually the background thing that's going on as opposed to something I'm sitting there actively watching my way through. I don't tend to do marathons of them with the exception of when I did that giant marathon that included 
all the live action films and all the Clone Wars and all of Rebels up to that point to get ready for watching The Force Awakens. So if I had to sit down and watch just the live action films and I wanted sort of an order to maybe show someone who's new, yeah, I, I would probably stick with the four, five, one, two, three, six, seven thing that I've heard of before. I'm not sure why four, then one, two, then five, three, and six would make more sense. I'm not sure why someone would want to put one and two in between four and five. I think I think that that's to keep the Anakin shock. I think that that's the only viewing order you can watch it without knowing that it's going to be the that Vader's Anakin. Well, no, but I mean, if you want, well, I guess, I guess it lets it's lets you see Anakin before he becomes Vader. I think of it more as the, that's not true. That's impossible. Holy crap. Wait a second. It's his father. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah. Which would be when you'd want to jump back and watch one, two and three. But yeah, I guess that would make sense. Um, let's see for the, uh, prequel novelizations. I do agree. The Phantom Menace didn't add a whole lot. What it did add was nice because that is where we got our first inklings back in the day, back in 1999, of the whole thing with Darth Bane, where the rule of two came from, the idea of when the Sith, this current Sith order for the films, had been created and that sort of thing. So Terry Brooks got to introduce that coming from Lucas. Attack of the Clones doesn't usually get nearly enough credit for its novelization, but it does have some good scenes. It's got deleted scenes that are worked into the story. It's also, by the way, how we first figured out when The Phantom Menace must have took place within its year. Because remember, in Phantom Menace, Anakin is nine, or said to be nine, uh, in all those materials back at that time. But ten years later in, it, in Attack of the Clones, he's 20, not 19. And Attack of the Clones' novelization has some parts that take place prior to the film in which we see Shmi very early on um, celebrating Anakin's birthday. And then a month later, we get the events of the film. So we know that he goes from nine to ten you know, in month four, as opposed to in month Five, which is when uh, Revenge of the Sith and Attack of the Clones both take place, which let us sort of pin down Anakin's birthday in the relative time of when The Phantom Menace must take place within its year, given that years relative to A New Hope started in month three. So there's all this math going on to pin that down. And then that has his exact birthday has slightly changed going from Legends into Canon, but it's still having to deal with that whole is he nine or is he ten? And basically, I think the way it's pinned down now is that he's turning 10 between the funeral of Qui-Gon and when they have the victory ceremony. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like he he changes his hair into Padawan hair on his birthday or right around his birthday, which I think is kind of an interesting landmark to set. Um, but yeah, I definitely like the uh, Attack of the Clones novelization. The Revenge of the Sith one, though, is just over the top better for me. I love the Stover effect, all the stuff that it adds and I think that while while Attack of the Clones was a weaker film overall, it's not as much helped by the novelization as Revenge of the Sith was. Because for Revenge of the Sith, it was a fairly solid film, but its biggest issue was why does Anakin fall so quickly? Mm-hmm. Uh, what must he be thinking? And that is heavily addressed in the novelization, whereas with Attack of the Clones, it's more of the extra scenes – but Attack of the Clones in general, it feels like the story is easier to follow and has less of the what the heck, except, of course, for what he mentioned, which is the Anakin-Padme relationship. Um, it seemed to me, I guess, that Anakin and Padme quickly falling for each other 
wasn't quite as quick and needing more explanation as Anakin falling to the dark side. Cause you know, at least they're, they're seen hanging out and, and goofing around and, you know, uh, you know, he talks like Donald Trump and then she's like, you know, no, are you crazy? You're making fun. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's not talking about, he's not talking like Donald Trump. He's talking like an authoritarian who wants basically a dictator. Wait, huh? Maybe there's a point to that. Anyway. Um, yeah. Expect a lot more of me probably talking politics as we get towards the, the nominate, the, not the nomination, but the uh, the election, because I kind of feel like it. You know, I got a bumper sticker that says uh, Palpatine and Vader, or Palpatine and Duker, or whatever. There is no hope for an election, <laughs> and I kind of feel like the Palpatine Vader thing may not fit. But I think we finally hit the point where that slogan actually fits. Um, <laughs> November is going to be a rough one. What's really weird too is like you know now that we've got this new canon, they've gone back and they rewrote the original trilogy, but they really didn't do anything Stover-esque. You know, they didn't really add any new insight, and that's the one you know that's the one real driving point that you you bring to my attention here is is you're right. The original trilogy they really don't add anything to what you see on the films, uh, and yet. You know, Attack of the Clones does add a lot more. Again, it doesn't get like as Nate says with the Stover effect, but yeah, it's it's interesting that they actually did have the opportunity to rewrite those books, and yet they didn't really do much with the opportunity. Well, the original trilogy novelizations—I mean, they just—they're more interesting in what they get wrong that doesn't match the film at all, like the Blue Yoda, <laughs> yeah. more than it is for uh, for adding anything. I would say that those new ones that took that weird approach, like so, you want to be a Jedi and whatnot. Um, again, those were sort of more storytelling experience. And in the case of So You Want to Be a Jedi, it was basically, what if you had someone who talks like the current Doctor Who telling the story of Star Wars to someone who's never seen it, even though he hasn't seen it in many, many years and only barely remembers it, but the person he's telling it to wouldn't realize it's wrong, so screw it, he'll go ahead and tell the story while he's smoking crack. Uh, <laughs> It was a bizarre experiment, so I'm not sure how much we should expect them to add much with it. Um, as to number three, in general, some libraries will include eventual trade paperbacks of comics. It just depends on the library and the library system. Um, you're probably going to wind up having to buy them if you want to read them, but if you are going to do that, I would suggest if you don't want to buy them individually, you might sign up for uh, Marvel Unlimited, where you pay a flat fee for the mm -hmm. year or per month. And it gives you access to a huge library of Star Wars and other Marvel content, uh, all for the same base price. Um, the comics come to that a little bit later than they come to the regular digital platforms where you buy them issue by issue. Mm -hmm. But if you're not concerned with waiting a little bit, like waiting for a trade paperback to show up in the library, that's a way to at least do it in a more cost-effective way. Mm. Uh, my reference is, you know, seeing how you like Sith and uh, Jedi type stuff. I would go with the Jedi search books, uh, go with those three, and then immediately jump into I Jedi. It's a really cool, uh, fun take on Koran Horn. Uh, and then, of course, you know, I'm a big fan of the new Jedi Order. You know, you're, you're learning about the Jedi. Uh, when it comes to Sith stuff, you've already, I think you've already touched on the Darth Bane books. Uh, the Red Harvest book was kind of a fun little Sith take. And then, of course, there's the uh, Knight Errant book, which gives you a very unique uh, look on Sith as well, as well as the Lost Tribe of the Sith short stories. And so based on quality, if you're talking uh, new canon, pick up Lost Stars, pick up Bloodline, and pick up Dark Disciple. Those are the ones I would say are the absolute top three. All, by the way, written by women. And all of whom have managed to nearly make me cry at some point with emotional uh, hits <coughs> from the books. So uh, the female Star Wars writers are doing something right right now. 
Our next email comes from Dom, who says, Hi, Mark and Nathan. This is back from November, by the way. Hope you're doing well. I just wanted to send in some thoughts about the new canon, especially parts that are bothering me. I feel like I've given the new canon a real shot, but it just isn't working for me. I feel like too often the new canon, including Star Wars Rebels, comes up with convoluted explanations that contradict the films just to provide fan service. For example, Greg Rucka's Smuggler's Run, which I generally enjoyed, makes reference to Chewbacca getting a medal after the Battle of Yavin. Now, having seen the film, we know Chewie didn't receive a medal after the Battle of Yavin during the ceremony. Lucas, a man not adverse to tinkering with the films, could have added a medal in the special edition or one of the other re-releases, but he didn't. And I just don't buy that they would have given him a medal afterwards. Yes, it's not impossible, but it's just ridiculous and defies logic. I think it would have been much better and cleverer if the story group had come up with an explanation for why Chewie didn't get a medal. Perhaps Wookiee culture rejects medals as ostentatious, or maybe Chewbacca is just that humble. Instead, I feel like we get a reference to Chewie getting a medal because that's something fans wanted. I have the same problem with so many high-ranking female Imperials, including Alicia Beck. That's from Smuggler's Run, of course. The fact of the matter is that we see hundreds of Imperials in the films and not a single female. That strongly suggests that the Empire was sexist, something that was clear to the old Expanded Universe authors. The old EU played around with this idea by having a few female Imperials who rose to the top despite sexism, like Dala. Admittedly, I was never the biggest fan of Dala, but at least her story made sense within the context of the films. Yet, in the new canon, it seems like every other Imperial captain or stormtrooper is female. I know fans have wanted more females in the Empire for a long time, but to me this really cuts against the films. Lucas's casting directors could have hired female actors as Imperial extras. They didn't do so presumably because they wanted the Empire to come across as akin to Nazi Germany, racist and sexist. If they were casting Imperial parts at random, the odds that you'd not get a single female Imperial out of the hundreds on screen are infinitesimally small. At random, you get closer to 50% female. And I, for one, refuse to believe Lucas and his casting director were just sexist. They did notably cast females for rebel roles, including rebel leader Mon Mothma, who serves as a direct contrast to Palpatine. That said, I have no problem with female members of the First Order like Captain Phasma. The First Order is a different political entity, and a lot of time has passed since Return of the Jedi. It seems entirely plausible to me that the remnants of the Empire could have opened up the ranks to females in order to offset dwindling troop numbers. As a final example, I'd cite the presence of A-Wings and B-Wings in Rebels. We're supposed to believe that the Rebels had access to these ships several years before the Battle of Yavin, yet didn't have a single one at the main Rebel base on Yavin 4? Yes, there's nothing in the films that explicitly states the Rebels didn't have A-Wings and B-Wings at the time, but it just defies common sense. There's also nothing in the films that proves the Starship Enterprise and Battlestar Galactica didn't take place in the Battle of Endor on the other side of the Death Star or off-screen. I just feel like these problems really hinder my ability to suspend disbelief. Ironically, it's more difficult for me to view the new books and comics as canon than it was for the EU, which I think did a better job of staying consistent with the films. Granted, the EU sometimes stretched the bounds of credibility, but it usually did so because it had to retcon a change Lucas made rather than a problem of its own making. It seems like there's less care taken nowadays in trying to make Star Wars feel like an internally consistent world with its own history. Sorry to go off on a long rant, but this has really bothered me. As I said above, I think I've given the new canon a fair shake. I've read all the novels and watched Rebels. I don't hate it, and some of the stories are quite fun. But the new canon has also yet to impress me. It doesn't feel as seamlessly integrated into the movies as the Thrawn trilogy or Darth Plagueis or KOTOR did. Am I alone in thinking this? Or is it just that Star Wars has always had internal contradictions and other people can brush them off easier than I can? Thanks, Dom. Mm, Dom, you are uh, circling around a problem that a lot of people are having. Uh, you know, the new canon issues, the convoluted fan service, these are all part 
of the problem I'm having with keeping myself getting into the new canon because it, it is a little different. Uh, when I think about the sexism change with the Empire, I, I have to agree that I do kind of think that there may be a little fan service to that, but I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. I think in our fandom in general, the fangirls have kind of gotten the short end of the stick uh, when it comes to their getting any kind of fan service. So, like, on one hand, I'm just like, yeah, okay, I, I could see why. But but that is one of the issues I have as well is, is the loss of that sexism because, yeah, it does seem like the books and the comics are going out of their way to do that, which would be fine if the films were going to do the same. But if the films aren't, then why are we going to this level here? It's kind of like the same thing, like, you're seeing all these articles. Hey, Disney, let's add a gay and lesbian character to the films. We have them in the books already, and that's canon, but clearly, again, we're finding out that at some point there's going to be levels, and we're going to find out that the films are all that counts and everything else is crap. And I'm just waiting for that moment. And I think that these kind of things are all that build up to that feeling. Uh, when it comes to the A-Wings, I can at least take the retcon that they've given us, if we can consider it a retcon, where they said that the A-Wings were part of a different Rebel Cell, and the Rebel Cell that we saw with Leia's group were the ones that had the X-Wings. So I'm like, okay, I can kind of go for that. Um, but I think the whole less care, I think you're dead on. I think is accessibility is still the name of the game. Uh, you know, I think at some point that new cartoon series, the Lego Freemaker saga, is going to have people going, is this canon? What's going on? It's Lego. This shouldn't count, right? Like, I don't know, man. Like, there's a part of me that's waiting for that because of that lack of care. Uh, you know, you think about the Phantom Limb comic and how that could have been. I mean, they could have made that a cool tie-in where you found out that that was Mr. Bones or something. But no, it's, it's a throwaway. And and that's what's really bothering me about this new EU that people like to call it. This has all been throwaway for the most part, aside from a small select few books. And aside from, like, you know, Lost Stars and now Bloodlines, I mean, you look at Battlefront and there's a book that could be a really good start to a series or just a really okay throwaway book. So I do think that there's something lacking in the current canon. I think, for me, it's the fact that there's no epic storytelling taking place. It's like they're holding all the epic, really big galaxy-threatening stuff or big, uh, uh, huge conflicts for the films. So we're not getting something that feels as important of a landmark as something like the Thrawn trilogy or the Conflict of Dala in the Jedi Academy trilogy and that sort of thing, or the New Jedi Order, etc. Um, as for Chewie... I'm okay with them having given him the medal the way that they did. I do think it probably would have been more interesting for there to be a reason for him not to have had one. Um, but then if you didn't have it, then we couldn't have had that scene at the end of the Chewbacca comic where he just gives it away and then goes off and does that inexplicable crap that we don't understand because they don't have any freaking dialogue. So, uh, yeah, I have more issues with Chewbacca and how he's been dealt with uh, in New Canon publications than than the metal thing. The metal thing doesn't bother me. That's As not for- Chewbacca. <laughs> there you go. Um, as for the uh, the thing with the ships, I'm cool with the explanation we've gotten from uh, Filoni and company in Rebels Recon where, yeah, you got your different Rebel cells with their different preferred starfighters and what they had access to. The whole rebellion doesn't fully come together till Sullust right before the Battle of Endor, so that's why we're seeing them then. I'm cool with that. I do think – and this is actually something ironically – I hadn't read this email – and I just brought it up on the live stream that I recorded for Battlefront yesterday, which is that whole thing about the diversity angle and the uh, the fact that sort of sexism seems to have been yanked out of what we've got from the Empire. The Empire now seems like it's much more being modeled after just general 
dictatorship and perhaps especially dealing with the First Order leaning more towards a Cold War era model and maybe something more like an 80s, 90s kind of thing or 70s, 80s, 90s thing than something based more on uh, the dictatorship and the development of the dictatorship that we got uh, in the 40s and even really the 30s in uh, Germany, Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's they're, they're shifting in a direction that's it's more progressive for the times. It's more diverse for the times. It allows for characters that we get like Ray Sloan, a black female who is an officer within the Empire who shows up all over the place and things like that. I do think that it is inconsistent somewhat with the films. They, if they're going to do that, they need to have more women, for instance, showing up with the Empire in, uh, say, Rebels to give us that sense of context. And you could make the argument that women maybe during the era of the films were in the Empire, but they didn't tend to advance as far as men did. So the sexism is there, but not necessarily as prevalent as it was in the way that West End games really sort of built it up in the RPG and then Legends really ran with for ages. Um, But it just kind of, you know, we'll just have to see how that plays out. I do think, though, that we're hitting a point where just in general in media, especially in sci-fi, I'm kind of feeling like we're doing an overcorrection. Like with Star Wars, most of the new female characters, it seems like, that get a lot of attention. Uh, Ray Sloan, Nakari Kellen, um, uh, Sana Solo slash Sana Staros. They're bringing in these female characters, but in many cases, they're A, roles that would originally have been filled by men, now filled by women, which is good, but it's quite a few. So it's again, it's raising that question of whether the sexism in the Empire still exists, but also... They're tending to be black characters, which, again, is good for diversity, but it's happening a lot. I think even Greer Sonnell is supposed to be um, in Bloodline uh, or, or or more of like a Hispanic kind of she's, – she's a darker-skinned character than the characters around her aside from Corsella, the way she's described. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if that's an overcorrection. In Star Wars, we've got the now inclusion of gay characters uh, in a way where it's just a natural aspect of their character, not something that's in your face in Lords of the Sith and in Aftermath. And that's a good thing for inclusiveness. At the same time, I just finished reading the last book so far of The Expanse uh, by the same team, the same pair that wrote Honor Among Thieves. And I love The Expanse. But throughout The Expanse, with the exception of probably a number of relationships I could count on one hand, virtually every single time someone is mentioned as being in a relationship in that series, it is a gay relationship. Whether it's men or women, or it's a polyamorous, like a group relationship kind of thing, like a group marriage. Um, And I wonder if, as a society, we're starting to sort of overcorrect. That it's getting to a point where we are seeing diversity, which is good. But in doing that, we're seeing diversity in a form that is highly out of proportion with the societal demographics around which the stories are being written. Granted, in this case, it's easier to do it because this is a galaxy far, far away. We don't know what the social demographics are and the societal demographics are. Whereas with something like The Expanse, it's supposed to be an outgrowth of modern culture into a further future for Earth. Mm. Um, So I don't know. I, I think that the diversity aspect is a good thing. It's about time. For Star Wars, but at the same time, there's a, there's a point at which you have to make sure you're dealing with it in a way that doesn't just make people turn to Star Wars and say, "See, you're all just social justice warriors. You suck. I'm not reading your stuff because it's all just propaganda kind of thing." And you scene. see that a lot in social media culture. People decrying yep. fandoms 
spots for that kind of stuff. You'll see a scene where Chewie's about to go to the bathroom and Han's like, not that one. You got to use the, the species room, man. That's that's the men's room. You can't go in there. <laughs> he, he brushes underneath his fur to check and see what kind of junk he's got before he decides which restroom to go well, into. You, you know, you made me think of something, though, about, you know, the whole diversity of women in the Empire. They were there the whole time. The women are the gunners. The gunners were the only people in armor that could hit anything. Clearly, Palpatine had them all behind the gun. There you go. There you go. Uh, and the, the bathroom reference is a perfect example because surely men uh, are not known for our great aim in public <laughs> restrooms. Um, yeah, that's why they're like a cave of Dagobah. <laughs> that's, that's why I just I, – I, no matter how the whole transgender thing goes, I would think that anybody who needs to sit down to use the restroom should definitely be aiming for the women's restroom anyway because holy mm-hmm. crap. Some public uh, crap, that bad pun. Um, man, those men's restrooms in public places can be nasty. I'm not sure at what point we all decide as a society that it's okay to just piss all over the seat as long as we're not the ones sitting on it. But woo-hoo! yeah, but that's quite a digression. Um, bringing it back around, another email here from Neil. Neil says, I just recently discovered your podcast. Again, this is back in November. I just recently discovered your podcast shortly after diving into the new EU with Star Wars Rebels. I was rather indifferent about the old EU. I think Mara Jade and the Solo Twins actually kind of ruined it for me. I started watching Clone Wars about six months ago, and after half a dozen episodes, I realized I didn't like Anakin any more in the cartoons than I did in the movies. So I stopped. Then I heard that Sarah Michelle Gellar was voicing the new Inquisitor in Season 2 of Rebels and decided I would give it a shot. I enjoyed it enough that I had to go looking for a podcast so I could catch up on the things I was missing. That was how I found your excellent podcast, as well as Rebels Roundtable. This led me to pick up a copy of A New Dawn. I just finished episode 162, A New Dawn for the Star Wars canon. I really enjoyed the episode, and I thought your discussion was enlightening. I'm surprised you spent so little time talking about how relevant the book is as a piece of commentary in modern society. You touched briefly on Skelly as a commentary on American vets coming home from the sandbox. However, your comments on Zaluna as an icon for the NSA and modern spying was limited to, quote, She's supposed to represent Homeland Security. Then jumped right off into Count Vidian being a commentary on modern business. I bring this up because I was surprised at how subversive A New Dawn was. It has a lot to say about domestic spying and its uses, environmentalism, military-industrial complex, government-slash-industry corruption, conspiracy theory, and government responsibility. Is this a regular feature of Star Wars novels, or is this one exceptional in its level of commentary? Thanks for your podcasting dedication and your time if you answer this email. I understand this email is about eight months late. Heck! Dude, we're answering it like five months after you sent it, so that's okay. Thank you, Neil. Oh, there was so much that slipped past me with the new dawn when it comes to the spying angle. Like, it was all in your face, which was definitely nice. You know, we're just talking about the whole lack, lack of diversity in the Empire. But having them being to the point where they don't trust anyone and the way that it all played through the Solston's eyes, I thought that was a cool twist. Uh, you know, I, I definitely think now that we know more with Rebels and stuff and now that we've seen more of the canon, I think a new dawn actually is probably going to be a better book when you reread it than, you know, what I originally thought. Like I was kind of like bummed, you know, cause John Jackson Miller like is one of my favorite star Wars authors. And I was really hoping that a new dawn was going to be the heir to the empire of its day. And I really didn't feel like that. Um, but when I look back on it though, it does have a lot of strong points that I don't think I was giving it credit for. 
Yeah, I think at the time that that email was sent, I'm not sure we would have been able to really answer whether it was one of the more subversive ones of the modern day. And I think that the label subversive, again, going back to the whole, oh, it's social media, so everybody's got to go off on something, especially when it comes to diversity topics. The label of subversive is being slapped on things like Aftermath and like Lords of the Sith. Oh, my God, there's gay characters. But when you really want to get down to subversive messaging uh, and commentary on modern politics and modern America especially, I absolutely think A New Dawn is one of the heaviest on that, not just in the new canon, but in all of Star Wars publishing. It really hits those points well and does so in a way that, you know, science fiction does well. Let's divorce these issues from the context of modern society so people don't get bent out of shape and talk about them or deal with them in a way that gets you to think about them so that then later it can be applied in context to the world that we live in. Uh, I think it was great in that regard, and I'm not sure we gave it as m- enough credit at the time in being what it was. Uh, but definitely, yeah, it's, it's definitely underrated in the sense of its social commentary in terms of people actually bothering to uh, point that out, which in that podcast included us to some degree. The next email comes from John Baldy, who says, Hello, gentlemen. I just finished listening to the Rebels Roundtable episode on Always Two There Are. During the discussion, the age of the seventh sister came up, specifically if she was old enough to be Barriss Offy. When watching the episode, I also noticed the age of the seventh sister and the fifth brother. That got me thinking about the age of the Grand Inquisitor as well. All three are older than the Empire. The Grand Inquisitor and seventh sister are known species, so they should have been found by the Jedi and taken to the temple for training. So why aren't they Jedi? That had me thinking, what do we know in story group canon about the Inquisitors, their origins, and how they recruit? Number one, is it possible Inquisitors were Jedi younglings that were spared and taken into service by the Emperor, perhaps not in the temple on Coruscant during Order 66? Number two, could they have been found by the Emperor before or during the Clone Wars and trained not as apprentices but as force adept servants like Asaz Ventress? Number three, In the Vader comics, we know that the Emperor began looking for a non-Force user replacement for Vader after Mustafar. Could the Inquisitors be a similar but more open method of searching for a new Sith apprentice, possibly potential apprentices before Anakin became Vader and trained like Darth Maul? Number four. Could Inquisitors have been rejected by the Jedi for some reason, and that's why they are older Force users around after Order 66? The Zerleonis books suggest how new Inquisitors may be recruited post-Order 66, but that doesn't explain why these older Force users were laying around for the Empire to train and use. Are you aware of any canonical explanation for this? And if not, what would you like that explanation to be? As always, thanks, John. Our canon source is actually Rebels Season 2's finale. Uh, we kind of get our first hint with the Grand Inquisitor. We find out, yeah, he actually was a Jedi. Uh, which I think is a strong case that a good chunk of them were probably Jedi or maybe like Maz Kanata, just strong force users of some form. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious Sidious is going out of his way to, you know, control the market. Uh, you know, he's got Vader, he's got he's got the force user angle, uh, he's got the techno robot kids and stuff that he was doing in the uh, Vader comic. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's just clearly they're bringing all that back because legends they, they've had that in the past fallen jedi and stuff went to palpatine's you know they became hands they became inquisitors they became dark jedi uh, a whole bunch of different stuff and i think that this is their way of incorporating that yeah i'm hoping we'll get some answers but aside from just those little hints that we get about the grand inquisitor himself i mean it's just it's not a question they've really answered i would love to have it turn out though that at least some of these wound up being kids who were captured like the kids that we saw back at the beginning of, I think it was season two of the Clone Wars. 
And maybe some of them weren't rescued and Palpatine kept doing that. So these kids were like raised in the dark side or something. But, you know, it's it's just never been told yet. Well, what's interesting, too, is that Rebels, when you, you know, Rebel season one, when it starts out, there's that whole talk about the children of the Jedi. And we don't see many aside from Ezra himself. So, you know, I keep wondering if at some point they're going to show us like, you know, now Kakruk is no longer canon, but in dark times, Kakruk took a little group of Padawans and disappeared and eventually, you know, hooks up with uh, Luke Skywalker sometime after the New Jedi Order and stuff and, and reintroduces that group of Jedi to Luke's Jedi. So I, I wonder if they're going to do something similar in that regard, because there are a lot, you know, they always say there's a lot of truth in legends and, you know, they're definitely making that true for canon. Well, it's very meta. Right. In the in a canonical story, they were talking about the children of the Jedi. And I'm thinking, why are they discussing a Barbara Hamley book? <laughs> All right. Uh, our next pair here, and there's actually several from this person, but we'll space them out. Uh, our next pair here come from Andrew Gilbertson, who, of course, is a, a longtime listener of this show. And we've heard from him quite a bit. He is following up some of the feedback that we provided to some of his feedback and then gives some more thoughts. Uh, but it's interesting to watch for those who listen to these feedback episodes how Andrew's perspective shifts and grows on the new canon because he's one of those who is very critical and has sort of uh, taken a more cautious approach to getting into it. So picking up uh, with one of his emails here from November. As a quick follow-up to his previous feedback in our last feedback set of episodes, I enjoyed the show. It's always fun to hear how you respond to my overly Eeyore points. I keep waiting for you guys to answer back, we're not your Star Wars therapists. Go work through your issues somewhere else. And I just wanted to mention, if Vidian is indeed a Valence reference, I'm not upset by that. I think it's rather cool, much like the Shantipole reference in Rebels recently. I was just trying to prove that I wasn't crazy in seeing the connection. But while Star Trek Into Darkness has certainly tainted the concept of new product paying homage to the old one in its execution... I think it would be a great angle to use in new canon's early products, paying homage to the early products of Legends. Something that can be moved away from. Certainly, I don't want a The Clone Wars, Quinlan Vossized Mara Jade or Thrawn in later novels or some such, as new canon moves on. But something right at the outset, in the first couple of years, to show respect for what came before. And give fun little Easter eggs for the prospective Legends fans having made the jump. Though I, too, am very curious as to whether it was intentional or subconscious. I haven't been writing in much lately because post-Dark Disciple, bah, grumbles Andrew, tragedy is not Star Wars, the prequels ruined everything, blarg, and aftermath, bah, screams Andrew, get your terrible Clone Wars character away from the origin story of my beloved OT character. And with Clone Wars 2.0 phenomenons that you guys have been discussing on Rebels Roundtable, I've been going into a much more negative tailspin of my fandom, and I think you guys have had enough of that from me in the last few years. Nonetheless, I've really been enjoying listening and keeping up. My wife's getting ready to join our West End Games RPG as a Tagorian, alongside my semi-suicidal Arcona. And that second Force Awakens trailer, the It's All True trailer, has washed away any misgivings between that spectacular Abrams take on the hyperspace jump and the phenomenally orchestrated version of the Force theme. So the embers continue to slumber, like post-Purge Jedi, awaiting the chance to reemerge. It may be only as a film fan, and continued obsessive over the old Legends continuity, having just reread the Lando trilogy, man is that thing weird, rather than getting involved much in the new expanded materials, which I fear are growing less consequential by necessity with all the important stories saved for film and TV, 
But my fandom is slowly, surely hanging on and waiting for December to give it that needed boost. And in the wait, even when novels and TV shows disappoint, I've still got you guys keeping me involved. Thanks for a fantastic show. Now, I want to continue this directly into his next one because it addresses more of things for us to talk about specifically. But I want to make sure that we were still keeping the context of what he has been thinking. Mm -hmm. So shortly thereafter, he sent, Hey, guys, quick addendum to my last feedback. I've been discussing with Joe Harrison. That's uh, Joe Harrison. If you don't know him, he's behind Starkiller Sound. He's done a lot of audio dramas uh, like Conquest of the Empire. uh, Really good guy. Uh, And also the brother-in-law of Andrew. His wife is Joe's sister, Sarah. I've been discussing with Joe Harrison. I think we are both agreed. Your search for the first must-reads of the new novels are probably in vain. The rise of the films, we believe, is the death of relevancy for the tie-in materials. Can you honestly imagine, with several new films out a year, that any major event, battle, villain, game-changer, character death, etc., will truly be left to the novels, with the films just making reference or playing catch-up? We can't. I know I alluded to such fears shortly after the Legends announcement by referencing the Phantom Menace tie-in comics, but I think that's what we're looking at. The occasional flare of excitement when a character or situation is first referenced in a book before it's seen on screen, a sort of cameo preview, but nothing that, in a year's retrospect, won't turn out to be fluff or filler. I honestly believe that the new film setup, the ongoing nature of visual media Star Wars, instead of the limited episode number model, is the death knell for the expanded media, novels, comics, and the like, or at least the death of their relevancy. All we've seen thus far are lightweights in writing style and universe impact. And while we can always hope for an interesting original character, well-written tome, or minor character insight that an author manages to slip through, I think the actual importance of anything that isn't on screen to the overall Star Wars universe... Well, its fire has gone out of the universe. The next few years will bear me out or prove me wrong. But though the future is always in motion, that is my prediction. The unlimited potential for future visual Star Wars will mean the marginalization and increasing irrelevancy of the books and comics. They will never become the equal of the EU we knew, because they will never be given the weight or importance or independence to develop relevant content that it did. We shall see. As long as the movies are good and, as the apologists always remind me, I still have my old books, that may be enough. And if not, I can always switch over to being inevitably pessimistic about new Star Trek to distract me. Sincerely, Andrew Gilbertson. Oh, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew. Man, there are connections everywhere. (laughs) Uh, When I think about the... Paying homage to Legends. That is one of the angles that I like. I do agree with you. I think that that they should do a little fan service for the fans that are coming across. But this all builds towards your last point, though, man. Uh, You know, I think about the fact that the Clone Wars, they were about to bring the Vong into the story. Uh, But, you know, you get to that. The the big point in your whole email here is that negative tailspin. Uh, you did notice a few week-long gaps between our releases since The Force Awakens, right? Uh, you know, you talk about the waiting for the embers of your passion to reemerge. I mean, I feel you, man. The aspect of the books and the comics feeling less consequential, the rise of the films, is the death of relevancy. Holy Sith. I've been circling that point for a while. I've been, uh, you know, like, really... <coughs> when I saw the whole Lego game, uh, I immediately started to wonder... You're not muted, by the way. Um, oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, when I saw the, the Lego Freemaker series, that was the one, and I was I was being tongue in cheek with Riley about it, but at the same time, I'm serious. I'm like, you know, there's somebody out there wondering where does this fit in canon? 
You know, I mean, and we've already got our first situation of, well, that doesn't line up. And it came right out of the film in the book. Which which end did Ken, did Finn get cut? Was it the stem or the stern? I don't know. But he's been cut from both sides, apparently. Uh, and, and I get the reasons why. There's always a freaking reason why. That's why we need freaking retcons. But you're right, man. Uh, there's no weight to these stories when it comes to the print. And... I don't see it. I, I'm okay. My, my big thing is I want to see Ben wipe out Luke's order. And I'm with you, man. We ain't going to see that until at least episode nine, unless they talk about it in episode eight, maybe, but yeah, I don't see it happening. And I'm with you. I, I see them holding all that stuff for the films. And it, it just, I feel like sometimes I just feel like the film only group, the ones that only like six films and we're like, beep the rest of star Wars. I feel like they won and I hate it. You know, I think I'm less pessimistic on that whole issue, but I think that's exactly what we're seeing. Uh, We're seeing none of the big epic events taking place within the novels or the comics. We're getting some cool events in some cases and some really good books like Lost Stars or Bloodline, but – it's it's not a lot of of major relative or major relevant events. I think what we are getting instead is more character insights. So, for instance, I think Bloodline is the closest thing to a major impact that we've got in the new canon, but in and of itself, it's not something you absolutely need for The Force Awakens, but it gives some background to the development of the Resistance and to an extent the First Order as we look to The Force Awakens, and it's some critical character moments for Leia, but and to an extent, I guess, Ben and Luke, sort of. Um, but yeah, we're not really in a position where we're going to be seeing the, the big stuff, it seems, happening outside of on screen. Although I would point out, he mentions the, uh, I think he said, like multiple Star Wars films per year. Right now, it is at least one per year as opposed to being multiple per year like the Marvel model has tended to be, at least for now. Uh, but is that a better thing or a worse thing? Because that may mean that the biggest, Im- most impactful stuff is really only happening you know, every so often, you know, once a year or some would argue once every other year, because, for instance, Rogue One, if that's the story of how they get the Death Star plans, that's going to be awesome. But we already know that happened. It's not creating new ground for us to say, whoa, I didn't expect this to happen. Potentially, Um, we shall have to see. I was watching Civil War last night with the theater group and the first trailer was Rogue One. And I was like, oh, sweet. You know, seeing it up there. And of course, it gets over and everybody's like, so you're the Star Wars expert, man. Where does it take place? Is it, you know, and I tell them it's, it's right before New Hope. And they're like, really? Like, that's lame. I'm like, it is what it is, man. Sorry, you find it lame. Like, but yeah, I don't know if it's going to add much to the relevance. We, we know where it's going to end. <laughs> Wait, it takes place before A New Hope? I'm reminded of a quote from the late Robin Williams in one of his stand-up comedy specials. Ha ha ha, catch up. <laughs> Now we're starting to get into some of the stuff that came around the time The Force Awakens was hitting theaters. So we finally have that uh, that relevance here. We do have some from before that, but they are very, very long, uh, mostly from the same individuals. So we will probably have to hold that till all together later in this series of feedbacks uh, or hit the, the most relevant topics. So picking up in December, we have from WL Podcast Fan from the uh, Wampus Lair Fan. Hi, guys. Just wanted to share my thoughts on The Force Awakens. It was cool, but my main reaction is there are so many questions of backstory that need to be filled in if you're a Star Wars fan. And since you can't de-age the big three, I hope we get some good books. More Luke, for sure. 
I want to find out how he developed as a Jedi after Episode 6. Also want more Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo's fall. What book are you most looking forward to? The big question is, who are Ray's parents? Remember the Celebration trailer line? You have that power too? Luke is the father in my opinion. Also, this departed from the pattern of Episode 1 and Episode 4 with the good standalone Celebration end. One thing I wish there was more of was the politics of the galaxy. I miss George Lucas's politics. I started the novelization, and it seems strange as it references that after 30 years, the galaxy hasn't recovered from the Empire, but that was only around for about 22 years. And on a side note, I hate that almost every review of The Force Awakens makes some stupid comment about how this atones for the prequels, or this is the first Star Wars movie since 83. Looking forward to hearing more of your thoughts and speculations to all the unanswered questions. Thanks. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there pretending that the original trilogy was the only films that ever came down the line with the Star Wars title. They live in a place called Denial. Uh, you know, the backstory, like I said a second ago, that's something I'm dying for. Um, I I think my issue right now when it comes to this, getting on to some of the stuff that Andrew Gilbertson had pointed out is, I just, I want some relevance. I am sick of missed opportunities. And uh, mainly because that is the number one point that people point out with Legends as its flaw. And, you know, you, you look at books like The Phantom Limb, the comic where, you know, you find out about 3PO's arm and stuff. And it, it's don't drop the ball like that when it comes to these background stories. You know, when you get to a story and you're going to tell why Luke decides to walk away, you put that sucker in a first person. You know, you, you, you get into that character's head then and there. Uh, don't tinker around, don't tiptoe around it, jump the hell in. And that's the problem, is they're not. Uh, we're going to get the answers to to Ray's parents and Snoke. I mean, Snoke, you know, depending on how we find that reveal out, that could be one hell of a Darth Plagueis-like book. I mean, you know, is he a Sith? We don't know. Is he a dark side user? Clearly. Kylo Ren has been trained as a Jedi. He's a master of the Knights of Ren, but... Come to me and we'll complete your training. So he's not trained in whatever the hell Snoke is. So yeah, there's a lot of backstory that I hope they get into. And as somebody that has read so many of those Legends books, the books and the comics, especially the books, are a great way to get that internal character insight. And right now, they are dropping the ball because I don't think they know what to do with these damn characters. Uh, and you, you know, uh, talk about the breakaway for the good ending when it comes to The Force Awakens. I think that that's because for the first time ever, we're going to get a different kind of trilogy. And I think that it was kind of smart to tack this on to the end of the saga. Uh, because this is the first time we're going to get a two-part film. I mean, you know, Episode eight's literally picking up where Episode seven left off. We've never had that before aside from books like Star by Star going into uh, Dark Journey. So that's something that I'm excited for. But... I just I'm 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 in a really bad mind space because I am such a huge fan of Legends and how it all connected and everything that Andrew pointed out about the relevance of the books and comics. Every time I pick up a book and a comic, I open it up. I'm waiting for some relevance, and I'm just my mouth is dry from wanting water and not getting it. So, quick thoughts. Um... Uh, the comment about how there are some people that still say that this is the first Star Wars movie since 83. This was actually the email upon seeing that on the same day as I saw something said like that repeatedly on Facebook in like a meme that was being shared. That's what made me actually on my vlog, uh, The Voice of Reason or Lack Thereof, on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash user slash chrono radio, to actually do 
an episode of the vlog specifically on that issue. And sort of the context of those who are saying that understand what you're saying and how you're demeaning other fans and understand why the mindsets differ, et cetera, et cetera. So this inspired a vlog a while back, uh, but probably too much to go into right now on Wait, you know, did, the podcast. Did you title it, That's Not a Fan? No, 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 did not. Not going to start defining what a fan is, though a fan can be a douchebag and still be a fan. <laughs> um Let's see. Uh, I don't think we're going to be seeing necessarily more about Luke's development and uh, Ben Solo's fall in book form. I think that's going to be something we'll have to see in a film or see in flashbacks in a film. I do find I, I think a lot of what he's asking for here, though, in context, we sort of get with bloodline. Lots, lots more politics. It's got some really meaty politics stuff in there uh, about the galaxy as a whole, about the New Republic, about where the four the about where the First Order is coming from and so forth. That's really cool stuff. We get the origin, essentially, of the Resistance. We sort of get some context for what's happening with Luke and Ben at the time. I will say people are going to be a little bit frustrated, probably, because for a a lot of fan theories are about, well, Luke must be Rey's father, because when everything happened with Kylo, uh, he just dropped her off on Jakku or something. And those events are now years, if not a decade or more apart. Because there are situations that are still in play in Bloodline that I think most fans thought would have happened years before that, that now must happen within the six years prior to The Force Awakens. Yeah, you're, uh, you being yeah, surprised by that threw me off. Like, I, I was like, wait, what? Like, I'm still waiting for that moment, and I've seen this little meme going around Facebook with the guy that's like, it's a kilo of steel and a kilo of feathers. What? They're not the same. Like, the, the guy's look of confusion, that's how I feel with this. I'm like, but it, it was going to make so much sense. Like, why would you put a decade in the... What the... Well, you see, it's interesting because, it, it, for those who... I don't think it's a big spoiler to say this. Uh, Luke and Ben don't really appear in Bloodline. During the entire story, they are off doing Jedi training stuff, and they're essentially incommunicado. In theory depending on how long they've been off doing that training and been out of contact, the things that need to happen with them could have happened before the book, but it's unlikely. And certainly there's been no news of all that bad stuff happening because the book has Han and Leia from the get-go. I mean, they're still together in this book. So it's it's odd that a lot of the things we expected to shatter the Solo-slash-Skywalker clan haven't happened yet, whereas Rey, based on her age, must already have been dumped on Jakku well prior to this. Unless Luke is just as bad a parent as Padme and was like, oh, kid, oh, get her away, and <laughs> dumped her on Jakku. I have no uh, time for this. I got Jedi training, man. Exactly, exactly. Although, uh, I I don't know, I wonder if we're going to look back at that celebration trailer and the, you have that power too, being taken from Return of the Jedi, I'm wondering if that's going to be an enormous red herring that we're going to look back and say, yeah, screw you, trailer editors. Um, That should not have been in there. Uh, Unless we assume that Luke was not talking to Rey. We could assume that he was talking to Ben, in which case it all makes perfect sense. Um, But yeah, I think you're going to really like Bloodline if you haven't picked it up yet, because it does answer a lot of the things um, that you're looking for. The next one comes in from someone who will be a familiar name if you listen to some of my really early podcasts, Robbie Chastain. Robbie hasn't been communicating quite as much with this show. He doesn't have time to listen quite as much. But, I mean, he was an ongoing, constant sort of uh, uh, fandom companion 
sending in questions and comments to Chrono Radio and shows after that. And he actually started up one of those early Star Wars podcasts, Star Wars and Beyond. So uh, pretty cool to have Robbie writing in here. So Robbie says, Nathan, don't know if you do audience feedback on your show anymore. Life doesn't let me listen much to the audio world like I'd like to. But I couldn't let the release of The Force Awakens go by without sending you the old school tried and true fan letter. I, along with my wife and son, went to see the movie on 1218, and the film certainly didn't disappoint. I was greatly relieved to see that the movie will quite likely live up to the hype, unlike what happened with Episode 1, how everyone thought that film was going to be some kind of godsend or something, and it turned out to be a movie most fans didn't enjoy. I'm quite certain that this one will easily live up to the hype, and I'm definitely anxiously awaiting Episode 8 now. Had to give some opinions on the movie, though. I was impressed with the new cast, looking forward to seeing more of Finn and Ray in the next two films. I was so glad to see that the trailer had totally fooled me, as I was thinking it was Finn who was going to be the next Jedi, and was very surprised to see it be Ray instead. Gotta admit to being a little less impressed with Kylo Ren, though, as he struck me as probably what Anakin would have been like as Vader had he turned to the dark side, say, around the time of Episode 2, where he wasn't fully trained and still the petulant, whiny teenager. Yes, I know he whined in Episode 3, but at least he was fully trained and a Jedi by then. All I could and can think of when it comes to Kylo Ren is Darth Vader wannabe. The death of Han Solo was shocking, and at the same time, not so shocking, if that makes sense. It wasn't shocking from the sense that Harrison Ford has been trying to get Han killed since Empire, so it's not a big surprise in that regard. But how he died was a surprise. I figured it would have been something in a space battle on the Millennium Falcon that would kill Han, not a lightsaber. However, there were a lot of callbacks to the original trilogy in this movie, particularly A New Hope, and so I expect that Han's death is going to be the a la Ben Kenobi's death in that movie. And so with that in mind, I predict that Luke will die in Episode Nine as Yoda did, after Rey is trained and ready to confront Kylo Ren and that supreme leader. I don't know much about him. Guess he's the second coming of Palpatine or something. Not sure about him yet. Anyway, this is a very good film, and it was very good to see everyone, especially after years of hearing how we'd never see this movie. I think they got a great story, and I'm looking forward to seeing how Episode Eight continues the story. Thanks for everything, Robbie. I'll let you tackle Robbie first, since uh, you and him have such history. Okay, cool. Um, well, I think... My perspective is very different on Kylo Ren. I know that he's coming off as the Darth Vader wannabe, and I do think that that's a very apropos comparison of saying that he's kind of like what Vader would have been like in Episode 2 if that change had taken place, because Mm -hmm. he definitely lacks the maturity in that sense. But I think he comes off as a much more complex character psychologically than what we got with Anakin. So to me, it makes him infinitely fascinating he's my favorite character of the new film at this point and we still don't know a whole heck of a lot about him because a lot of it's probably waiting to be revealed in a future film and such unfortunately i didn't get surprised by the ray being the force user thing uh we'd seen the previous we'd seen finn with the lightsaber so that was sort of leaning in his direction and all and we hadn't seen uh, ray running around with the lightsaber yet except for like the little toy commercial like ooh. You know, how's that stuff going to wind up turning out? But then, right before the film's release, we got that uh, toy that was released early, and the image got out where the packaging showed Ray holding the lightsaber. And I'm like, oh, well, there we go. So while I still love the moment where she grabs the lightsaber through the air and the music cue, it's one of my favorite moments of the entire film. It almost brings me to tears the first time I see it. Um, I wish that would have been a surprise for me. But the toy image spoiled that. And 
you know, it, it is what it is. As for the film living up to the hype, I think for the most part it did. I certainly see this film, I mean, it's getting more of a positive response than The Phantom Menace did. That said, uh, going back to the whole idea a couple letters ago of sort of echoing old legends in some of the newer stuff as a way of showing the familiarity and a nod towards fans of those stories, this film did that in a large degree with A New Hope on purpose, according to J.J. Abrams, trying to grab some of those things that are they're definitely Star Wars original trilogy using those story beats as a way of feeling familiar and really sort of throwing this new story in with a familiar context. That's the thing that's being bashed the most about this film. So it has lived up to the hype, but in trying to do that connection, what he refers to as uh, callbacks, that's what's sort of put a, a, a target on the film's forehead that's winding up getting it a lot of flack. So not as positively received broadly as I would have hoped because of that. Mm. But in general, from a pop cultural standpoint, review standpoint, media standpoint, record-breaking standpoint, it's absolutely um, really sort of tearing through a lot of what was expected. It's really doing well. Yeah, that's the one that made me stop and question. I was like, because I'm in the same boat as you, Robbie. I feel like it did. Uh, but then at the same time, I do know a lot of casual type people that are like, oh, it was a new help remake. Or, you know, that had this word. It was almost like it had a more Civil War reaction than a Batman versus Superman reaction, which I was very happy with because, you know, everybody came away from Batman versus Superman like, what the heck did I just watch? Uh, now, the impressed with the cast, uh, I, I too was impressed with the cast all the way around. I think Poe Dameron, for a character that isn't in the film that much, I'm surprised how much I love him. Uh, and maybe that could just be the fact that Han ends up checking out by the end of the film and he's my Han 2.0 and I, I latched onto that. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe I'm just a touch gay. I don't really know. Uh, one of the things, though, that cracked me up with the whole Ray uh, reveal was I went to see it with uh, my coworker Darnell, and Darnell was black. And Nathan, you know, we had talked with Barrett was before about when he watched the original trilogy and how he always thought, you know, that Vader was a black guy because the black costume. And when they had that scene in the snow and everything and, you know, uh, Finn's got the lightsaber kicks on and Darnell's just like, oh, yeah, the brother's going to be the Jedi. He's like all like, you know, into it and stuff. And boom, boom. Finn's on the ground. What? It's not him. And then the lightsaber flicks. Over. Oh, she's the Jedi. Like, I knew what was coming. I'd already seen the film. But his reaction to it was great. I was loving every minute. I'm like, I'm so glad you said that out loud. Because he could have kept that in his head, and I would have never known the, the, the brilliance of what was going on for oh, him. I see. I see. It's another fiction sci-fi-ish movie, which a lot of horror movies on, and the black man has to be the one taken out. Uh-huh. <laughs> I see how it is. It's because he said he'd be right back. Uh, exactly. And I am, again, I'm with you 100% on the, the Kylo as Anakin at that age. Like, wow, that, that description is like, just light up. It's like when your KOTOR character shifts one way or the other and you got the really cool background behind him. Like, that's how perfect of a description that is. Uh, Han's death, I'm in the same boat. You know, Ford was really pushing it. Uh, I am glad, though, that Han didn't go down with the ship. I think that that would have... That would have been enough to push me over. Like, you know, I've always said Han was my favorite canon character. So, like, I already had that where I was like, oh, man. But, but to lose the Falcon also, I'd have been like, I'm done. I'm walking. No. But we still have the Falcon, so I'm okay. Uh, Luke dies in nine. He doesn't care that we still have Chewie. Yeah, yeah. He I'm, wants the Falcon. That's right. But I'm like, Luke dies in nine. And now I'm like, hmm. If Luke dies in nine, Han dies in seven. 
I'm that that just pushes me into that. I really want an end to Legends Camp. I'm just like, all right, we've been big three off limits, and then the, the first three movies that they're in, we're gonna off two of them in them. Like, oh my god, are you kidding me? We need a final story in Legends. Off them all. I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> Well, they don't do something like that, that eventually we'll have, like, episode 13, and Luke will be like, Here's the Force! What was your name again, Sonny? I wish I'd I I have got away like Han did, lucky bastard. Hey, uh, uh, what side of the Force should I choose? Depends, you know, like what I'm wearing. <laughs> I had too much chocolate, it's the dark side. Ah, that prune juice. Uh, alright, folks. That wraps up this chunk of the feedback. We have a lot more to go, but I think this leads us out. We're a little over an hour in recording time at this point. So, Mark? Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it, preferably a positive one that actually makes sense. Uh, you can always find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans, so if you have any Star Wars, Legends, questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we want to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starsport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Legends universe or the canon one or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one year when no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Sing. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't court us the odds that there'll be, like, a resistance old folks home, and Leia and Luke will be looking at each other going, No! I want to watch Sanford and Son! Luke's like, We've kissed! I know it! We're meant to be together. I feel it. I feel it in my bones. Speaking of bones. Oh. Oh. Running because my other computer sucks. Okay. All right. And that works as a test. Uh, Your volume and my volume look like they're about the same level. And we will go. Go. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. I am the fuck is going on? I don't know. Alright. Okay. I pulled up a way old is that the correct answer? feedback. <laughs>
Episodes can also be found on iTunes and on Stitcher and right on our own Facebook. And episodes can be found on iTunes and Twitch. Jesus Christ. Episodes can also be found on iTunes and Twitter. Uh. Possible. So we start with uh, as I open it up. An, e- an email from so the sexism yeah. with the satire damn phone. <laughs> I've been going into much more negative of ah. it may be only as a fan film. Opening up the other one now. Open, damn it. There we go. Well, it's a fire that's gone out of the universe. I'm going to say that again because he uses the actual quote. But though the future is always in motion, that is my prediction. The Damn it, my phone going off again. <laughs> when I saw the whole Lego game, uh, I immediately started to wonder. You're not muted, by the way. Um, oh, sh- I'm sorry. That's okay. Trying to get my earphones plugged back in. And I can't see the plug. There. One of them days. I want to find out how he developed as a Jedi after it, but God damn, why is it even going off? I just turned it on fucking silent. Mother. <laughs> okay. We'll find him no matter where he's at. Oh, God. Oh, Whoa, you okay? Yeah, that was me trying to sit back down at my desk and my foot catching the cord for the microphone stand and sending both the microphone and my computer zipping toward my face. (laughs) Coming at ya! (sighs) We need a bigger place. Okay, let's try this again. Remember the celebration trailer line? You have the... One thing I wish... All right, I'm going to pull up a, another email. Let's hit this email, take a second, kill the recording so that we make sure it saves, take a leak or whatever, and then pick up again. If that sounds good. Do you want to make taking it a, a leak sounds good to me. <laughs> oh my God. Do you want to make it a complete episode? Man, All I right. got to get this mute thing done. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> then like, it's like five times less. Uh, so do you want to make it a complete episode break right then? Um, We could because okay. we're at about an hour. All right, yeah. <laughs> I said that five times. I'm like, Oh, wait. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm trying fuck? to stop hitting the mute button and only okay. use the Every mixer, I and then I'm hitting back it. over to get to Skype to hit to see the chat window and hit the mute button on that instead of the little box. Yeah. I keep pinning and unpinning Skype to and from <laughs> my taskbar over and over again. <laughs> At least I'm not alone. Like hit Windows 10. Okay. That's As not for... chewy. <laughs> There you go.
Good, good, good. 